Bonjour, ni hao, comment estás? This is John James and welcome to Champagne Strategy. This is a red pill business podcast which deconstructs world-class strategy focusing on growth, marketing and sales with just a sprinkling of tech and champagne. Welcome to the second episode of season four and we're going to finish off with what is really now a three-part mini-series on distribution networks. The first was season two, episode three with Ayan and Peter from Impact on the topic of affiliates, digital partnerships and content. Then we spoke with Brent Annals in season three, episode 26, mostly about core strategic partnerships in more of the traditional sense of the word. And today we're going to cover a bit more of those same principles, but take another step further where we look at scaling this concept into systems, specifically partnership ecosystems and communities with a bit of a larger enterprise SaaS tech flavor. And lots of people talk about distribution and the concept of physical availability, but far fewer people actually know how to go about achieving it. And you might have heard about manufacturers, wholesalers and retailers in the physical goods industry. But in the service industry, things can get a little bit more complex and nuanced and almost no one talks about it. In fact, marketers would rather have you believe Apple's success stems from a series of brand ads than talk about product strategy and ecosystems, which is perhaps really the true source of their market power. And there's this running joke in content marketing, which says, that content marketing works the best when marketing isn't involved. And the core lesson here is to understand source message credibility. And that means like a source is more trusted when the brand itself isn't the direct source of the message. And on that vein, partnerships, communities and ecosystems tends to work best when we create networks where other people become advocates and sell the product instead of ourselves. But setting up these systems requires a lot more skill and strategic thought than simply booking a few meetings and attending some meetings trying to strike out a deal. Which brings us to zero. Unless you've been living under a rock, you should probably have heard about Intuit's QuickBooks and Xero and maybe Myob and a few other systems depending on which country you live in. Today's guest, Brian, was one of the original employees who kickstarted the creation of Xero's partnership ecosystem and community, which he started pretty much from scratch with a small team. And Xero is now a large multi-billion dollar public company that's quite dominant in APAC. He's since obviously left there, but now still advises firms on all the do's and don'ts on how they can create their own distributed partner networks themselves and we go through his whole process in a reasonable amount of detail so by the end of the episode you should be able to prevent yourself from making rookie mistakes if you're going to pursue any of these growth levers yourself without further ado ladies and gentlemen brian williams so brian welcome to the show how are you doing today yeah going well thank you good to be here we start each show with a bit of a beverage but you're not a huge champagne drinker so i thought let's do like a champagne from the beer world of which there's a couple probably the most famous is these trappist beers which are old monastery beers now i mistakenly recommend you a beer that was not a trappist beer but a really good beer called a rodenbach which is like a sour beer but let's just open the both and, and have a beverage what do you think yeah, sounds good, mate. Let's uh, let's get into it. So uh, okay, okay, I had to uh, go and source this from a, a local craft beer place earlier, but uh, <laughs> we were able to get it done. I mean, I've got probably the most commercial brand of the Trappist beers, which is almost arguably, if you talk to a, a, a beer a professional, they wouldn't really like this brand. But anyway, the point is, Trappist beers, they call them the champagnes of the beer world. So I'm just going to pour this one out here so you can kind of see what it looks like. 
And these Trappist beers are from monasteries. So it's a bunch of monks together brewing beer, very high quality, very old recipes, minimal intervention, long fermentation, high quality ingredients, very complex tastes, low temperature ferments. So it tends to be, I would say, one of the richest, most complex beers you can have if you're into beer. I myself am not into beer, but one of my beer geek friends tells me all about them and I've tried quite a few. So I think my favorite was the... I'm going to mispronounce this, Vestfilleren, Vestfilleren or something. It's like $80 for one of these 300 ml bottles. So very expensive. But anyway, hey, cheers. Yeah, here's to you. Yeah, cheers. Oh, well, that's nice. Very sweet. Apparently, these Trappist beers have very low uh, hops in them, so very low IBUs or bitter units. So they tend to be a bit more malty, but very strong. So I think this is like 8 or 9%, or they go up to like 12 Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what, what, what's yours? Uh, 7% from what I've got, the road and bar. Yeah, there you go. 19, okay. uh, 2017 vintage. Ooh, yeah. yeah, very nice. So yeah. it's going to be a bit sour, but very complex. And with that one as well, there's an interesting story. Actually, they use a wild yeast ferment. So when they brew the, the mash or the water with the barley and everything in there, it's uh, left open for the natural yeast of that area to ferment. That is very indigenous. You can't replicate that anywhere else because it's going to be a different strain of yeast. But that's that's what makes that Rodenbach very unique in a way. Like you can't replicate that and, and try and to brew that in Australia. So and, um, I think uh, from flashbacks, as you bring it up as well, I, I do recall a, um, a European trip. And I, th- I reckon it was an Italian place where I went to some monks and tried this sort of beer years ago. But it was, uh, I'm thinking like 15 years ago, but you've definitely yeah, jogged my memory. Yeah, yeah those, those those monks were all over the alcohol fermenting because, uh, you know, it actually used to, I think it used to use it for like herbal elixirs and things like that. So the alcohol was a preservation agent for these herbal remedies and such. And the monks had all the information about fermentation, which is, as we know, is a bit of a complex process. So, you know, back in the dark ages, they were the uh, go-to kind of people. And obviously they like to enjoy a beverage on the side. So there we go. But anyway, over to you. Can you give me just a really quick one minute summary, like, what your career has been so far and where you're, what you're doing right now. Yeah, sure. So I'm based down in Melbourne. I operate Hockey Stick Advisory. Hockey Stick Advisory exists to help ambitious companies build their partnership ecosystem muscle faster. So, you know, all companies want to grow, whether through digital product-led, through having sales teams of, of various sorts, or I think there's an untapped opportunity to unlock partnerships to be able to sort of fuel that growth. Build a competitive moat as they integrate more customers in around their business and build a more sustainable business as they go forward. Great. Okay, I love it. And do you play hockey at all or not? Yeah, I, I get asked that a lot. No, uh, <laughs> the, the common um, tech term of hockey stick growth is is the hopes and dreams of a lot of tech founders that they're, they're what they've invented yes. or created is the next big thing and then they're on a journey. And so for a bit of tongue in cheek as well, you know, they all do want to sort of have this up and to the right growth. And that's why I've sort of coined the name um, to ensure it sort of reflects that I don't take myself too seriously. No, perfect. I was just at a hockey game last week, actually, in, in Utah. And um, yeah, someone scored a hat trick and everybody's throwing the hats on the ground. So it's very interesting. But but yeah, I get it. It's, it's like that sort of inflection point where all the previous time and effort just reaches this point where it just takes off and that rocket ship explodes. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that every sort of startup yeah. founder or tech person wants to, to get to. So I suppose that's a really yeah. good segue into you know how we can get there. 
you obviously do a lot of work in partnerships, communities, and ecosystems. And mm -hmm. I kind of see those as maybe a natural progression from left to right. But you use this term like partnership ecosystems. Is there such a thing? What is the difference between like affiliates, Instagram collabs, partnerships, communities, ecosystems? I mean, if we had to delineate them. Uh, yeah, common questions to get to go with it as well. I think the one you missed there as well, channel, right? Which is, yes. you know, how do you distribute, you know, your offering around it? Who else can sell your stuff? Uh, whether that's car tires, petrol, you name it to go with it. And so that, that's probably like the foundational one that we're all common with um, today. And you go into supermarkets or anywhere. So that's a channel model. Um, partnerships is someone that you want to partner up with in a very instant use of the word to be able to go to market together, sell together. Maybe they have an offering or solution which you don't do or intend to do or customers you want to go after to be able to build that forward. Partnership ecosystems is the maturity of your partnerships coming together where you've got a one-to-many approach. And so you might partner up with lots of organizations who solve various solutions alongside your offering. And what's the relationship of all of them together as they're working together for your end customers or your suppliers to go with it? And, you know, there's various forms of partnerships. You can have your agency partnerships. You can have integration partnerships, technology partnerships. So effectively... Another organization outside of your own that you're working together to help solve customer needs or to go to market together. And look, we did an episode before around sort of affiliates. And I think this is where maybe people do this sort of reach out to someone on social media, like a social media group or someone who has a following and goes, hey, you know, if you promote my thing, I'll give you a link here or some kind of code and redemption. And that's X percent. And I'll attribute that to you. And that's kind of what they think is partnerships. Would you delineate that versus something that's called strategic partnerships? Or Yeah, I think the version you're talking to is a loosely based hopes and dreams that you're able to use their, their audience that you're going to be able to mm. hack it and they're going to be able to sell your stuff or promote it and influence it. And I think it's probably like one step removed. Um, okay. The partnerships in the instance what I'm talking around in, in a B2B world is primarily there might be an integration through, you know, enabled through APIs. There might be a common set of customers that you're going after together. And there's a really sort of, you, you want to try and treat your partners like your own employees or part of your organization as well as, or an extension of, rather than have something to promote your stuff, which is more of the affiliate model, I would say. Yeah, great. Okay. So then maybe we say we start with some, I hate to use the word collabs or something or some, sort of branching mm -hmm. out. And um, I would say instead of selling directly one-to-one, -one, we would mm -hmm. then go out to adjoining organizations who may have a shared interest or shared audience. And then we sort of like start to have relationships with them. And then I think the next model is like creating community of our own of people mm -hmm perhaps who uh, come together with a similar interest and then we sort of feed them, mm -hmm. you know, content or whatever. And then yep. I think the next step is like really that ecosystem effect where there is something that you built at zero, which I want to hear more about, where I think you sort of take partnerships to the next level where you have like a, like a network of partners almost. So how would you define those kind of three different things? Yeah, so I think to start off with what you're sort of talking about is you have the, the early stage of a community is you've got a bunch of early adopters of technology. They're your advocates who are out there who love it. They want to give more than they should feedback back to the teams and what it could be yep. and get it. And they're really on board and they get it. And then from there, you want to continue to build out your partners and add more layers to it as you, with the aim of trying to hit like critical mass, however you define it, where you've got a big enough customer base yourself and others who are on the journey alongside you. And that's where sort of the partnership ecosystem starts to come into play because you've got all of these um, different providers who are building solutions for your shared and mutual customers which are coming together. And then they'll start to talk together and build new innovation on top of that. And then that's where you start to get the network effects 
which is yep. where you're keeping people on your platform or in and around that um, to go with it. And that's where you want to have your community to flourish. Because what you'll start to find is as you sort of go up that inflection curve that we, we spoke and joked about is that you can't directly engage all of your partners together at scale. And so it's where community can come into into real life to actually enable people together to try and achieve the similar outcomes. Look, you sent me a deck from Canalis. It was very interesting where it had this sort of like influence land expand and then this whole sort of network that they'd created. So, but you know, that, that sort of left end and it sort of started with influencers and affiliates and affinities and advocates. And then it's sort of like over the right hand side, it gets a bit more serious. So do you see the same sort of progression from like, let's just pretend we're a very early stage company you know, limited resources, but we know we should sort of start doing partnerships and reach out to these groups or whatever, but we don't know how to do it versus a company with like a dedicated partnerships or ecosystem manager who's like architecting and, and crafting these things. Like, is there like a continuum from left to right in terms of commitment and, and resources or not? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so early stage companies, what they're looking for is to be able to grow and scale. And sometimes they're thinking like, who's got the most customers that we can go after and we mm-hmm. want to partner with them, supposedly. And so... That's what they want to do around it. But the reality is they don't have the customer base. They might not have the reputation, the reviews, the depth the of product to actually pro- the brand to provide any value whatsoever to the big partners that they hope to. And, you know, yeah. I, um, my sort of five years at zero, I saw many startups, scale-ups come, come to zero reaching out like, hey, please, you know, EDM all your customers or, or whatnot. <laughs> that happened every week, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're not sort of considering the big picture around what they actually bring to the table. You know, they haven't established trust. They haven't established their core value proposition. They haven't established how zero or others can win. And mm. so they often, um, they don't typically um, bring much material returns. As companies start to um, scale this component and like the name of Hockey Stick itself is companies will sort of get to a point where they've got the direct sales motions going and then they want to add some more layers to it, right? And so it's like, oh, we've got to do this partnerships thing. And they'll usually typical, they might put on a partner manager at that point, usually someone in sales or around it or bring someone in with some experience to try and add another layer around it outside of growing their, selling more to their customer base directly. And so the typical model I see in market is they grow into having the need to have a partnerships team or a partnerships manager or someone to look at it that may have probably organically grown and it might be like the CEO or the founder's mate or someone he used to work with or you know, some guy there, but something starts to build some momentum and it could be like this thing, but they don't really know, but I need someone on it full time. And so that's how companies typically go down that path rather you know, than really, intentionally doing it by design. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because a lot of people ask me like, is partnerships different to like channel sales? And I'm like, well, it's kind of like it, it branches off each other. Like if you're doing sales, you're selling one-to-one, then you're going, oh, well, I find this... um this sales opportunity that has lots of customers that we can sell to. So if I have a relationship with that one person, they can sell our product into five of their customers. And you're like, well, that sounds a lot more efficient than going one-to-one, right? And using the same sort of fixed Mm -hmm. cost of time and energy closing each one of those customers, right? So I think that's where a lot of companies go, oh, well, they'd be really cool if we found another five or 10 of those sort of nodes almost with multiple customers that we can bring in and sort of form a relationship with. And because it just it just means the exponential effect of each sale is is multiplied basically. So do you see a lot of partnerships sort of and ecosystem strategies communities sort of branching off like a, a sales effect at its core in the initial days or yeah, I'll say it. it was interesting over sort of my zero journey is some apps who are sort of 
getting started, they would want to integrate with Zero, but then they start to integrate with each other horizontally um, across the ecosystem in time and start to build their own ecosystem. Because you mm. picture like for a cafe that you walk in and order a coffee, they're going to have something to do point of sale. They're going to have to do accounting of some sorts. They're going to have to have rostering systems to be able to pay that component. They've probably got an online store to sell some components. They might have reporting tools which plugs yep. in. And so it's not one solution. No one operates a phone these days with just phone and text message. Um, Apple says we've got like 100 apps plus on our phone. We use about 30 a month, right? It, mm. It's much more than that. And so businesses operate the same. We've got interconnected tools to sort of operate. No, I like it. Okay, perfect. Now we've sort of cleared up the sort of difference between all of them. Where do you think the crossover is? Like I was sort of suggesting there's like a natural progression from from sort of something junior to something more advanced and ecosystems maybe being at the far end of that. But um, do you see it mm-hmm. in the same way or...? Yeah, so you know, it's got to it's got to be progressive. So usually, sort of partnerships will start and be impactful if it starts if it's quite close to your core offering, right? Like if if if, if you're selling car tires, it needs to be some other you know car part to sort of go with it. Can't be something really far away to go with it. In tech, it, if you're selling into a certain industry, it's like who what, what other players are in the industry which complement uh, you quite nicely. Um, there's a company in France called Reveal, and they've coined the term last year called Nearbound. And the, and the philosophy behind this is that, um, you know, the customers you're going after, there's partners left and right who are either have those customers or they're, they're looking to get those customers as well. And the analogy I like to talk to, which is quite sort of visual, is uh, picture next time you go into a conference, there's all those stalls and stands of everyone trying to um, sell you stuff, right? Mm. There's the same amount of people which go into the door, and so that's the customers. And rather than have 100 stands, what if – you know, five of them who are quite like-minded and it can actually work together and bandy together or actually sort of partner up to sort of offer a combined solution which solves the needs of the people walking the door rather than have 100 teams in silos, 100 headcount, 100 marketing campaign branding exercises to go with it, right? So um, I think it's a good way to sort of visualize around how it can sort of stack up. Yeah, great. Um, so one of the facts you told me, very interesting, uh, you had a slide deck that I, I saw and it said like 75% of all traders indirect, seven out of the 12 of the largest companies in the world tap into ecosystems or have their own ecosystem. 77% of all companies see success in co-selling. So selling, like you just said, with other people and customers who have been mm-hmm. referred to you are four times more likely to close and 37% more likely to stay so in a retention basis. So, I mean, that's pretty significant. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all of those numbers are actually increasing and magnifying increasingly. So we, we live in an age of digital overload of information. And so if I go to Sydney, you know, I'm Melbourne-based, I wish I could have dinner, I'll just ask someone. And I'm like, oh, that's good. And done. I don't have to go jump online and, and go about it. If I'm looking yeah. for a new solution, if my friends or it comes down to people you trust, or people you trust in market, you might not know, or thought leaders around it, if they recommend some components, then it, then it makes sense, right? Why are you going to waste your time and go through all the energy and effort to sort of go look at that if you if you do have that trust established? Those metric numbers that are coming through are definitely magnifying. I really say like partnerships more broadly. It's really a, it's, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's, it's moment, right? It's kind of like a time to shine. Existing sales channels are being exhausted. You know, the recession talks magnify, especially coming from the US, which is, very much uh, in that direction already, as, even, as you, I'm even sure you saw last response, week. Sort of yeah. digital media as well, like that sort of era is waning with privacy and and some of those sort of cost controls coming in to hit those those companies. You know, so like that whole 
harvesting demand from digital direct response platforms is sort of waning. So I think it's sort of like maybe flipping back towards that old school BDM side of things. And that's what I love about your partnerships. I think, you know, partnerships are the original BDM almost. If you don't do that, like that's the core of each business growth engine really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like who wants to be doing outbound direct knocking on doors to end customers around it? Like why not sort of work together to sort of provide a better together narrative? So that brings me to the next thing, which is like what I noticed in in different countries and different cultures. Um, For example, in Southeast Asia and a lot of Asia, um, a lot of these partnerships are very ingrained in terms of the growth strategy. So especially when it comes to like a product sale. So like it's all black platform based, like I have to be on this platform, that platform and in these networks and that's Mm -hmm. their marketing spend. Whereas I find in Australia, perhaps it's a bit more, let's do an advertising campaign and, you know, use Marcoms as our strategy to then create sales and, and growth. And it's, it's very interesting, like watching the two sort of like predilections, but like if someone like a company was, aligning a budget and go, Hey, I've got 50 million to do this. I mean, I feel that in Australia, a lot of the time they're just like, let's put everything into an advertising brand campaign and whatever, and then to see how it goes versus if you're in other countries, it'd be more about networking and and, and partnerships and and building out like a distribution network. I mean, do you find there's a lot of difference between different um, cultures and sectors or like even between SaaS and and FMCG, for example? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I, I like your sort of analogy. I think it's a cultural thing, which is sort of underpinned by the some of the, the regional nuances of what you sort of see. But if you know, if you're going to set up shop and move internationally, do you want to go do it yourself where you've got no brand, no recognition, or do you want to try and partner with some local distributors? I like to value you are, build some trust, and then look for a way to sort of scale ahead. And so, I think whatever industry it could be in around it, the user case still is applicable, and, and you sort of see it rolling out that way. Yeah, and you said that, um, look, you, you finished at Zero like a couple of years ago, right? And then you mm-hmm. branched out on your own and did Helquistic Advisory. And then you said, oh, there's a lot of actual demand. I mean, you were kind of surprised by mm-hmm. how much there, there was. Do you think there's a bit, of a, a bit of a void locally around perhaps what you have to give to companies? Um, I, th- I think it's just sort of the nature of where partnerships are sort of played. Like it's usually been on the CEO's right shoulder or founders, like someone go chat to these people and have a go attitude, which is kind of a bit of the uh, Aussie culture a little bit around it. Like you've got to find, you've always had to find sales departments. You've had to find marketing yes. departments and they've always been have headcounts and there's training behind them and there's industry standards, but partnerships are still uh, coming to life around it as around. And some of the benefits which we talked to just earlier around the sort of trends that we're sort of seeing as the measurability and impact of these are coming to the forefront is it's the that sort of the industry is maturing. What's really pleasing in market is that there's a there's a real build in market to go with it. And like I've hosted events before where partnership events, I say, put your hands up if you did a Bachelor of Partnerships at university, right? And beyond Nobody. a few organizations <laughs> building courses today, it actually doesn't exist, right? You can you yeah. can do partnerships modules and a few components in a few select US universities, but it's either a learnt skill or learnt skill of what it's not, or it's an evolving skill, which is everyone sort of, um, you know, uh, building in market, which is which is cool to see. Yeah, it's funny because um, there's no like formal training around it. Like you have product-led growth sort of companies and training around that. You have marketing training, you have sales mm-hmm. training, but you don't have really partnership training. It's it's so um, 
it's so nuanced and, and deep. And I, I think like sometimes, like you said, it, it takes the executive control to then go, hey, can you please pursue this? Or, you know, the investor recommends, oh, you should talk to XYZ company because they have a similar sort of market to you or whatever. So it's very haphazard, mm-hmm. I find. There's no sort of like structural playbook. So, I mean, is there resources you would recommend people to look to or sort of playbooks that are very proven that you'd recommend people look at? Or? Yeah, so there is some evolving sort of training coming through. Uh, Desmond Russell up in Brisbane, who formerly led Microsoft Ecosystem, has got a company called Partner Elevate, where he's got partner onboarding and skills to help partnership people, um, mm-hmm. you know, create more attention um, to their partners and not have to be dependent on other partners and build their own business. And he's doing really well. In the US and Silicon Valley, you've got um, Sassy Leadership uh, with some courses on partnerships, which are well received. Um, and uh, also, in Kansas, you've got Partnernomics led by Mark Brigman. And so there's a few courses and infrastructure sort of coming through to help support industry, um, which is increasingly uh, coming through. But it's still still early days because it's not the default department which gets a big budget, big headcount um, and to go with it, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And um, have you found the, the last couple of years that this uh, buzzword around community and community building has become mm-hmm. quite big? So mm-hmm. obviously some of the barriers to creating your own community, community management platforms, et cetera, have decreased in price and increased in accessibility quite a bit. And, you know, I think social media was the, the early stage of that or groups. And that has then mm-hmm. morphed yep. into sort of self-managed community platforms, I would call them. Mm-hmm. And, and where do you see that sort of going in the future? Like you mentioned this term of community-led growth. Can you talk a bit more about mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I think it's a buzzword of something which has been around forever, right? Like you picture yeah. your local footy club, it could be your netball club, you know, around for what it is. Uh-huh. So community-led growth is like how do we bring people of the same hobbies, interests, skills together, enable them, keep them engaged, and that's the becomes the, the the defensive moat of our engine as well as a growth lever to be able to get other people on board. Hey, come join our golf club kind of kind of mentality yep. Um, yep. with that. I think the leading leading thinker in that space is, in my view, is uh, David Spinks uh, from the states, who's got a really good book for called The Business of Belonging, which I would recommend uh, locally here in Australia. Uh, I'd encourage people to check out the Community Collective run by Paz down here in Melbourne, which is bringing together all community managers, exactly solving what you sort of said, John, of like where the community managers all hang out, all right? They've got a community Mm. for community managers. And um, (laughs) it's really encouraging seeing that come to life as well. And I think, you know, like I was just doing this uh, probably two months ago with with a, a small business client. And, um, you know, we had a social media following. We had a newsletter list. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's a proportion of your customer base that want to get a bit deeper and they want to contribute and give mm-hmm. back as well as receive. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I had this, this discussion with, with this uh, social media person called Marcus uh, back in season three. We talked about you know social media strategy, right? And the irony around social media is that a lot of people don't invest in the social part of social media, which is responding to comments, you know, giving back information to people, like engaging them, because obviously that's expensive and it requires like human input. So a lot of people are just on their soapbox, just disseminating information through a channel, which is happens to be certain social media platforms. And I think you know the next step beyond that is like your own controlled community uh your own social media platform if you will but i mean what does that require to do that i mean the 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 tech is getting cheaper than ever but like what resources have to go behind to do that really well yeah so you know you want to hang out where your community is right so if that's facebook Mm. groups or slack groups discord telegraph you know you name it you know saturday's 9 a.m 
hockey clubs, whatever, right? Um, <laughs> you want to make so there. And then like the rule of thumb sort of thinking through what are the community metrics is that you want your community growth to grow in line with or faster than, than your business growth, right? You want to make sure it's engaged and people are around it. And so the concept is, is that you want people just to spend time and engage, give back, learn, but also, um, you know, have the chance to share knowledge as well and pass it back. So it is like a vicious flywheel um, of moving around and that's where the sort of the beating heartbeat is. Yeah. Do you feel like um, some people get this wrong in terms of like it's a one-way communication street instead of a sort of a two-way feedback loop, if you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, when you're creating communities and partnerships for that matter or, or, or ecosystems, it's this quid pro quo. I think if people mm-hmm. are maybe less experienced, they go, Oh, look, I want to leverage, you know, your customer base because it's a similar <laughs> customer base to mine and I want to sell my product to your customers, right? And then, and then the the negotiations, the discussions that sort of start off on that front foot instead of, okay, where is this mutual uh, give and take here? What can I contribute? What can you contribute? Um, can we sort of form a relationship that starts here and then is ongoing and blossoms? Um, I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's sort of like maybe strikes at the heart of, of all these different iterations of, you know, communities or partnerships. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's, I reckon that's the number one error when people are aiming to set up um, partnerships is that they, they see potentially a golden egg of, of uh, this company over here or people or group or community have got access to customers. I'm going to go, you know, knock on their door. You know, if yep. if you owned a shop and someone came in just trying to sell you something out of off the street, you'd be like, just go away, leave me leave me alone. And um, yeah. that seems seem to be the, the common... Uh, mentality. However, if you think about why that is, it's they might have given a partnerships or a salesperson a mandate to go drive new business through partners and like trying to access it. And so it probably comes around to the KPIs of how it's traditionally done because they're effectively given a sales metric for what is a partnerships mm. model. Now, inversely, if you applied a different approach where it's like, these are the customers I want to go after or the particular merchants or the community I want to go after. And you actually lead with like, hey, I want to come help out. I want to come contribute. I want to give you guys some referrals. I want to help your marketing, your comms, your sales teams, your leaders look good and start to offer value first and start to build some trust. And it does take some time to go with it. Then, you know, are they in a return like, oh, I love these guys. They're making us look good. Uh, They're making individual people look good and promote. And then the willingness of them to sort of to give back comes in time, but it's definitely not led with asking or demanding stuff which ends up in, um, you know, minimal results, which is it's really commonly done. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I find this quid pro quo of perceived value is like probably sits at the core of all business in general, you know, and this is just one manifestation of that. But um, look, I think, you know, there's a lot of tech tools that have come up to help scale what is inherently we're discussing a very unscalable activity. Um, is there any out there that you recommend that are popular? Um, and is there shortcomings to some of this this partnership or ecosystem community management tech? Yeah, I think it, it's still got a long way to go and it's coming through. Um, in tech itself, there's a few main players um, in account mapping tools, so where you can sort of safely share customer base um, in an environment and sort of say, um, so with that, there's either, you know, Crossbeam, uh, Reveal, yep. Partner Stack is another one um, to go with yep. it. Um, and they've got the capabilities to say, oh, which customers do we have crossover with? Which ones do we not have access on your side? Which ones do they want access on your side as well? And, and then how do you have sort of various campaigns to sort of target and work with those? So they, they really start a conversation. And then beyond that, 
somewhere between CRM land of HubSpot and Salesforce and others, there's also PRM, so there's partner relationship um, uh, models as well where they're actually sort of saying, well, these are all my partners, here's the partner portals, here's the tools to go with that. And, um, you know, for the, for the Partnership Leaders Catalyst Conference last year, which I attended in Miami um, in August, um, you know, Jay McBain is a leading uh, global channel yep. chief in lots of ways from Catalyst. Um, you know, he indicated there's over 200 plus tech providers in this space today as well. And so um, I think, you know, there's a lot of investment in this space um, increasingly. More locally, there's a great offering up in the Gold Coast from Partner Portal, it's called, to be able for brands to be able to sort of work out who you want to sort of partner up with and how do you do campaigns. And they make that really easy. And that's sort of definitely one to watch uh, coming through. So, so interesting then, what do these tech platforms not do that you need to have? Like what kind of groundwork do you need to, to do before you use these platforms to scale? Like we kind of mentioned quid pro quo, value props, figuring out exactly mm-hmm. what you offer, what they offer. Mm-hmm. Like um, is there sort of, sort of some guidance? Because I, I just feel like some people go, oh, look, I'll create a community. Okay, I'll sign up to this tech community platform, you know, $1,000 a year or whatever it is. Boom, I've got a community. And then they realize, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of other things that need to go into to making that work. Yeah, you've got to sort of definitely walk before you run. And so who are the two or three key partners which you want to work with? What's the strategic partners which is actually aligns and makes sense alongside your organization? Get them humming. And then who's the next layer to go beyond that? Where's the advisory, those advocates we spoke about to sort of help accelerate your growth a little bit wider for the next layer of distribution? And then mm-hmm. who, then what's the next layer around to go, that, to go with it? And a challenging part of that scaling component which is where community comes in is like how can you continue to add value to all of these partners at different levels ongoing is that so they all want to continue to work with you and that's a sort of model as it sort of triages out as you sort of get bigger and and sort of grow down that channel okay well i want to get to your process pretty soon but before we get there let's just pretend we need to sell this idea to executives or the powers to be to fund mm-hmm. this. So, you know, mm-hmm. partnerships, affiliates, mm-hmm. um, referral, community management, you know, whatever. If you were putting together a business case for this to someone who mm-hmm. maybe doesn't know as much as you, what are the sort of mm-hmm. main key points you would be hitting on to sell this initiative and get budget for it? So I'd start off with say, do you want to build out a massive sales team and fund it all yourself? Or do you want to work out a better way to go business so you can go faster, increase your distribution and don't have to build it all out yourself? And so for some of the stats we spoke of before, of um, the mm-hmm. opportunity to sort of partner up, to go to market faster, to unlock customers that you don't currently have access through, through building key partnerships and enabling those, there's an opportunity to, to go faster rather than worry and uh, fund it from your own direct sales efforts ongoing. And so when you sort of look through the stack, you know, the options, wherever it is, building features that you intentionally and strategically decide not to do, or if it's customers that you don't have access to today, is it an integration you don't want to want to build if it's a tech partnership? There's multiple levels around how businesses can play the role of a complementer to a platform and grow with the larger organization as a way to sort of scale. And on that note, is there any sort of very serendipitous or unusual opportunities uh, by doing this work that you get through these channels that you don't get through any other initiative in the business? I'm, I'm sure things have popped up in communities or things that you've read when people are interacting. They go, oh, wow, I've never thought of it before. And that wouldn't have come through any other marketing or sales initiative there is. I mean, does that happen quite a bit or, or not? I think that's the intention of every hackathon for an, on the tech front, right? <laughs> of like, oh, what's his, what's, his, what's his ideas? Let's come up with something yeah. new, right? And but the reality is if, if, 
if someone's able to solve a really key component that no one else has built to and build to the gap around it, just do that really well. Then why not? It makes it better outcomes for the customer. It's better outcome for the other partners alongside you, and and you've got a better together narrative to go with it. Speaking of that, I mean, are there any really good ecosystems, communities, partnerships, sort of uh, networks that you know of that you can speak to that you're like, oh, this is just like the perfect example of this. Like for me, and I hate to use this example because it's a big brand, everybody knows it, but um, you know, Apple is, I would argue one of the masters of creating an ecosystem and with sort of these moat-based network effects, you know, they've got the iOS, you want to switch devices, they make it hard. Like we were mentioning at the start, you know, if you've got an Android device trying to pair with an Apple device, like there's intentional uh, friction or technical errors that just happen to pop up. They make it very easy to stay within their product group, but as soon as you move out, you know, they make it difficult. Who do you look up to in the, in this space? Yeah, Apple's obviously done a phenomenal job of, you know, creating network effects so you're all interconnected and it's hard to leave, right? Mm. I think AWS has done another great example. I really like Stripe, the payments company. You know, they've been referred to as the platform of platforms because, you know, they're Mm. powering payments across the whole internet and plugged into so many capacities behind the scenes. Um, In e-commerce, Shopify's done an incredible job to be the increasingly the default e-commerce provider for SMBs and increasingly through their Shopify Plus offerings. However, they've got a 6,000 plus apps, you know, driving through their ecosystem and Shopify is not building 6,000 plus solutions, right? <laughs> Atlassian's got thousands of solutions. Yeah, they've like know? outsourced all their sort of add-ons, haven't they? Yeah. Like, it's like, why why have your own product team create everything when you can just outsource it and get the market to produce the best um, add-ons to your own core product, right? Yeah, and even like you see Zoom, which is, uh, we all know much more than we like. Um, has got a Zoom app marketplace front and center now, right? Because they're trying to build solutions to connect with solutions beyond just their video calling software. And we know other people use it. So how can you bring it front and center so there's a better together narrative? And so it's increasingly the, the way of the world. And imagine picking up your phone, just using it for one thing these days. It's uh, just not the case, is it? You know, and the other thing uh, was HubSpot. So I... Um... I mean, I've dealt with these people before. I, I think I've interviewed Sean Ellis on a, a previous interview and he's very friendly with Damesh from from HubSpot and they did a really good job at yep. creating a an agency sort of partner network, you would call it, and enabling mm-hmm. those agencies yep. then sell even to other agencies, not just to the client, mm-hmm. but to other agencies or sub-agencies as well as the end customer. And it's funny because ironically, a lot of people think, oh, HubSpot, we're all about inbound and you know creating content and getting customers coming in through that sort of content interaction. But like they make the majority of all their sales from this partner network of agencies. And I think a lot of people I don't understand that. But I mean, did you sort of admire that network as well? Or Yeah, absolutely. And in North America, America HubSpot's very on a pedestal for good reasons. So they've enabled a whole, there's a whole layer of services and project businesses who are onboarding, supporting, and enabling HubSpot under the hood ongoing. And, you know, that's thousands of agencies and people working in those, which HubSpot's not paying directly for. Those agencies yep. charge the end merchant. They might give a clip of that sort of transactional revenue ongoing as well, but it's a way for them to do scale. Zero very much is definitely in Australia and New Zealand has been unlocked the accounting and bookkeeping channel. And so they're quite side by side with that model around the interconnectivity between the the parent software company, the enablers of the channel itself, and then the end customers, clients, merchants um, alike. 
Great. So like, what are some of the challenges though, when we're doing this, we kind of mentioned the business case, right? Like, you know, why should we pursue uh-huh. this? But then also there must be some pretty major impediments, like whether they're, you know, internally cultural, maybe it's a budgetary issue. Maybe it's just like, you know, the payback period needs to be too short for it to be realistic. I mean, what do you see as mm-hmm. the main sort of barriers or roadblocks to these kind of initiatives working really, really well? Yeah, yeah great question. There's a guy uh, from partnerhacker.com called Jared Fuller, and he, he often says, um, you know, partnerships is a strategy, not a department, right? And uh, yeah. I, I like that because it, it is an ongoing investment for it to come to life. And, and some challenges we sort of come through is as you start to build too many partners, how do you continue to add value to all of them? going right and so that's usually mitigated through a well thought out and designed partner program around milestones and benefits and what the value exchange is ongoing another issue which you know i, I see hubspot leaning into now is channel bloat they've got so many partners at a critical mass level around it as well is that sometimes they're you know they're fighting against each other and you don't want that race to the bottom model yeah it's, it's um, like franchises like which McDonald's is sometimes too many too many people in the same territory. So they like put sort of geographic uh, boundaries around that to make sure they're not competing too much directly against each other. So, yep. so, so there's like a threshold you get to where you're like, well, we can't oversaturate that initiative, right? Yeah. And, you know, they have to have partner programs where there's benefits and tiers and levels around accordingly to it, right? But, um, hmm. you know, you want to be able to farm out leads accordingly and keep it growing, right? So if the onus is on the parent orchestrator of the platform or software company to, to continue to add value downstream in a scalable way and so bigger company bigger problems right okay and what about when you're starting community so this happened to a client of mine mm-hmm. a couple of months ago we bought into a community sort of management platform it's called mining mm-hmm. networks anyway it doesn't really matter they're all mm-hmm. of varying degrees of, of the same but anyway it was mm-hmm. just a bit hard to get a bit of traction so we're shifting from i would say a social media and email communication channel and you know direct communication via phone and and direct email to okay come and join this community and we can sort of talk about the same things in different channels or group rooms or whatever and it was actually pretty challenging so the the thought behind that was that hey you'll just be an instant success and you know we've got some really good content people are just going to go crazy but um it actually required a lot more I would say work and cajoling than we'd expected. I mean, is that sort of true in your experience as well? Like, yeah, you've got to keep continue to feed a community and continue to add value, and you want people engaged and contributing towards it. If you're not contributing towards it, it's just just another Slack channel. It's just another social media platform, another medium to try and contact them around it, and it's it's a waste of your efforts and startup around. So that's where you've seen the explosion of community managers. In recent years across all organizations their role is really to facilitate that advocacy around it right because that's fundamentally what you're after you're after advocacy over loyalty you're after those customers who are going to go tell everyone all about it ongoing um, around it and not just use the product and say nothing and so that's what you're trying to drive forward and unless you 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 know you bring some of those people who are not at that level up to speed if you don't create that engagement that safe zone have that trust to go bound it's just not going to materialize results or the engagement of what you're after. So are you saying that then the best way to see the community, if it was starting from scratch, like some people may be thinking, listening to this episode and thinking, okay, we need to create a community. Like what's your best advice about doing that the best way? Is it to identify some of those like very, like I would call super fans or like very high Mm -hmm. advocacy sort of customers and then use them to seed the rest of the community or do you have any advice around that? Yeah, so yeah, you really got to get those early adopters on board and continue to spread the good word, right? Because they're the ones there. 
they are your ones in market out telling around it. And then you want to breed the next layer of those to go about it or encourage your to build a cycle where those advocates are bringing other people onto the platform and they're producing content and they're doing engagement. They're asking questions and they're learning things. And that's, that's the way to sort of get to, to grow the moat effectively. Okay, so look, I love this in terms of mode and strategic sort of uh, channels, but let's just go into a bit more of your process, if you don't mind uh, divulging yeah. uh, maybe at a surface level or something a tiny bit deeper for the listeners around your approach. So just to say mm-hmm. that I hired you to help me and I do this all the time anyway, to advise clients like, hey, let's build out a partnership strategy or let's build out a community strategy or let's execute an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Or, let's build this from scratch. Uh, yeah. So I'm hiring you. What is your process from the start? Let's just pretend they don't have anything. Talked about quid mm-hmm. pro quo and value props and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm a big proponent of mm-hmm. understanding the buying context or the JTBD, uh, jobs to be done um, yeah. sort of context yeah. of the sale of mm-hmm. your product first, because then yeah. then yeah. gives you lots of ideas in terms of vertical and horizontals. But like over to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. So to start off with, you need to look at like do it just an audit. Like what's what is it? What isn't it right now to start off with? What did you want to hope it to be? What's your sort of ambitions around it? And so that can be advanced and nothing or hopes and dreams or aspirational to start off with. And so you've got to sort of get the benchmark of where that company is up to, right? And so it might yep. be sort of, you know, engaging with the, the leadership, the founders, CEOs at a, at a high level, the board potentially around uh, what it is today. Uh, from there, it actually has to, you need to go for a process and actually consider like, what do you actually want partnerships to be? Like, what are you actually trying to get out of it? Like, is it a case of you're wanting someone to fulfill a feature gap or there's a component that they do that you don't do around it? Is it a case that you're looking for distribution from others? Are you trying to add more value to your customers? You've got nothing else to sell to them, but how can you help them win as well? Maybe drive your MPS up to go with it. So what are those core objectives that you're sort of looking to go um, around it? From there, you need to start to consider and, and you go through all the sort of wish lists of what it you want it to do and, and you build out a prioritization component around, okay, these are the core objectives of what we're trying to achieve. And then the big one, which is I think is massively underestimated, is like, all right, well, who's going to do the work on this, right? You know, ideas are cheap as always, right? So, who, yeah, you know, ca- you just, capacity just in the team right? or... You don't need anyone to manage the community, yeah. right? That's not labor intensive at all. Just, you know, click a button and get some tech done. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go after these partnerships. And you're like, well, who's going to do the work? You know, as a founder over there sort of already working weekends who can't do it in the, in the earlier stages or as partnership managers working hard or what it is. So, so that needs to be a really honest conversation. Or if you're going to make serious about it, make it impactful um, to go through it. So from there, you come down to a prioritization process to go about it. And you sort of say, all right, well, this is the direction why these partnerships make sense. There's strategic partners, technology partners, integration partners, Maybe it's just brand affiliation of like, hey, we're going after the same customers. Let's do some stuff together uh, from there. Hang on, just just before that, I mean, I'm really interested to know because I have a method of doing this, but like uh, identifying prospects to be partners or mm-hmm. to people to reach yep. out to, I think is is kind of like a very mm-hmm. interesting discussion and way of thinking about things. So for me, what I do is I understand the buying context and I go, what else do customers yeah. buy when they buy this product? Like what other categories do they merge into? Other brands do they buy? And then I look at the vertical and then I look at the horizontal. So end to end, 
And then I sort of like, I sort of mind map this out from the center of that, that yep. buying context. And then that gives me mm-hmm. really interesting things that I maybe wouldn't have thought about mm-hmm. uh, off, off branching off that sort of core buying experience. Do you have any guidance on that or not? Yeah, yeah. So, because you start off with looking at your ideal customer profile and then the next layer mm-hmm. to go with it is like, what's the ideal partner profile? So, who are the partners mm-hmm. who are also going after that um, ICP that you sort of speak of, right? And so, once you start to identify, you've worked out what partnerships is and isn't, you know what it is strategically, you've narrowed down the priorities around, okay, well, this is the approach we're going to go after. And it's a case of the model you just mentioned of like starting to look into, all right, well, who are those partners that I want to go after? And the most important part before sort of getting going is what are you going to offer them? How can you activate them? What is your partner value proposition to be able to take to them before you knock on their door or reach out or start conversations that where you can build trust, you can help them win? How can you help people on the other side get promoted? That would be the ideal goal, the aspirational moment I always say is like how can you bring mm. services products, customers, referrals to help people on the other side get promoted because, you know, every partner's got a choice. They've got limited time and bandwidth. And if you come out of the blue asking them big demands, they're just like, we'll chat to you in 12 months or two years, right? <laughs> and so yeah. so how, yeah. so what you're looking to do is you're trying to accelerate up their to-do list. You know, accelerate up there. I need to chat to these guys. You want to be the exciting thing that they bring to the table. And so before you can ask for anything, you know what partners are, you know who you want to go after, you know how it helps your end customers to go about it. Then you start to work on your partner value proposition to be able to build a compelling case that they're going to effectively give you attention amongst other competing resources to go about it. Great. And this is something that you help your clients architect because, you know, that requires a bit of a separation from your own business in a way, doesn't it? Like, you know, everybody says, oh, my product is awesome. It's going to solve everything. But I mean, there needs to be a bit of mm-hmm. some sort of thought behind that process, maybe from an external perspective. Is that something that you do a lot of? Yeah, it's a lot of that as well. And sometimes like mm-hmm. for especially early stage companies, they've got their, you know, their, their business is their baby. But it's like, well, if, you <laughs> yeah. know, if the companies which, are, which do great are ones who nail a need. Right, they do this one, two thing really well. But the broader they go, the more effectively lighter offering they have, and the, the crapper customer experience they have, they can't continually top it up. And so, it's it's interestingly that, that those who are building point node solutions, solving a small components, are able. Typically, what I'm seeing in market is they're able to sort of go faster. And then left and right of them, or up and down, they sort of partner with other solutions in and around it. But they don't try and do it all. And it seems to be a bit yeah, of a true. secret sauce around it. And so. And so I'm, I often have to try and unpack that for companies and try and say, well, what do you really want to be or where are you heading? Or don't tell me that something's we're thinking about it or it's on the list and it's coming and we try and it. tell your customers there. Like just, yeah, yeah, create awesome experiences, drive great customer outcomes, great NPS, and, and, then, and then you're set up for sustainable growth. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off around um, your process, but also I think ownership is a big thing here. You sort of mentioned like, who is the person that's going to drive this? Like, oh, is it the salesperson? Mm-hmm. Oh, is marketing going to do it? Is mm-hmm. product going to do it? Um, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. existing departments sort of are in there. But then generally, mm-hmm. you know, most companies, I think I think that take it seriously, at least have one person who's like the, the partnerships manager or strategic partnerships kind of person, whether that starts out as the one of the senior executives of the business and then sort of, you know, devolves off into a, you know, a, a sort of structured role. I mean, how do you see that sort of happening at an early stage and maybe a later stage company? 
Yeah, there's, there's probably two important questions to ask on the other side when you're starting that you've done your prioritization work, work to go with it, right? Like what is the core KPIs, objectives of the company that you want to reach out with? What are they? What are they trying to achieve as a company level? And then secondary, who's the person directly responsible for achieving those KPIs, OKRs, or bringing it to life on the other side? And so now you've got a motivated party. You've got someone you know what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, despite workload, despite partner programs or other opportunities, if you're able to enter with something bring to the table to help that person win, are you going to be like an ally or like an enemy early on when you sort of start to, you know, go, you know, go with those conversations? And so um, it's amazing how it sort of starts to change the needle early on and the approach around it and the impact to sort of go with it. And so, you know, I'm working a lot with companies to sort of get them to that stage around it. And then from there, I'm working with a, a coaching and accountability against those sort of narrowed priorities ongoing around how they're delivering against it and how the approach is working and how they're building momentum through it, right? Because as, as companies sort of start off with, whether it's, you know, founder-led sales is another classic US term of like trying to unlock those partner sales, the putting in a, yeah. a partner manager to building a partner ecosystem or having platform strategy components is the depths and the complexities does change as you start to swim upstream. So this this happened to me actually, um, you know, I can't mention which, which company, but um, there's often partnership managers who are employed on a full-time basis and they're always working on a partnership that's about to close, but the lag is so long, like one year to two years, it just actually never closes. So they're just constantly never closing anything for years on end it's like a, it's a great salary you can earn you know 100 200k easily and just say you work in you know large partnership deals which never close i mean i think what would you do to prevent that sort of dynamic happening i.e some sort of glorified salesperson that doesn't actually know how to close a partnership i think there's two ways to look at it right like there's outputs and inputs there's outputs of like how you're helping those other partners win, how many how many engagements you have, how many leads have you passed them, how many components around have you paid it forward, how have you supported their marketing, their com, their leadership and all those components, how have you rallied your business. And the more you do more of that, it's kind of like a leading indicator. And it's kind of like the laggard in, indicator is the outputs where referrals start to come back to you. And mm-hmm. there's a few ways to look at the sort of partnership success. It's what's partner referrals, where are they bringing business into you? Or is that where is their partner influence? So how can, you know, collectively by you partnering up start to uh, influence the buyer decision for, for some of the benefits we spoke of before? And they sort of they sort of go out into different, you know, tranches depending on sort of um, the objectives of what you're trying to achieve. Okay, great. And you mentioned, um, okay, let's just get back to your process. So I cut you off uh, a little while mm-hmm. ago, but you were talking about like looking mm-hmm. at your ICP or your, your sort of buying context, right? Then being enabled through the executive to have budget and, and resources to pursue these kind of things, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. you would like take a bit of a target list, right? And then mm-hmm. pursue those things. But back over to you, if you mm-hmm. ran through the rest of the process, what where are we going to go from there? Okay, so you've worked out uh, what partners should go after based on your own company sort of prior to go with it then yep. you're starting to open those conversations with the the top three priority partners around it and you're trying to start to say all right well like i said before what it, what is the company uh, objectives of what you're trying to achieve and what is the who's the person responsible for that make sure you can answer those components and then go back to the drawing board on your side and think about yep. how you can add value to that ongoing um, as a part of that process in order to build it up so just like a sales pipeline you're building out your core key partner pipeline 
but you're doing it in a way in a mandate where you're not actually at this stage looking to unlock customers to build gaps you're actually trying to help those other partners to win you're trying to actually spending all your time and energy about to enable those components because if you're able to be the fries with that, if you're able to help be an extra tool in a toolbox which gets the job done, they're not paying for your wage bill. They're not paying for your company. You come willing as a part of it. You need to give for a period of time with your key partners before you expect things to come back in return. And so the role I sort of play is playing that strategic guidance around what is best practice and the methodology and the principles to be able to apply that in market. Let's let's move on to measurement. So I just mentioned the example of a partnerships manager who was all promises and talk and didn't deliver for a number of years and then became moved into a different role, uh, which is funny. Um, funny, funny but, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 very surprising. So, so how would you put some sort of controls or measurement controls on the partnerships or ecosystem community management sort of like department or initiatives? You know, we can measure things like, oh, we've put like 60,000 people signed up here. But I mean, are they there every day? How much do they interact? Are the partners selling things? I mean, what sort of key metrics are we going to look at here when assessing the efficacy of some of these initiatives? Unless they're, if you're primarily wanting partnerships for to be drive net new business through, which is reality more of a channel. There's a lot of um, metrics behind the scenes, which depending on your stage of growth, which effectively set as a benchmark for the partner managers to achieve against, right? It could be mm-hmm. if it was a integrated approach and technology solution partner through enabled through APIs, you're looking at an increase in growth of the number of connections to the to the platform or to your customers. And so make sure that's growing at a steady component. And so the partner manager, as per any sales leader, you wanted to have an unfair upside of showing the uptick to grow on that component. You can look at the number of engagements back and forth, whether it's a activity-based selling, like how often you touch and base with your partners, what's the regularity of it to go about it and making sure that they're actually engaged with the set, said portfolio to go with it. A number of marketing webinars, events, co-marketing offers, what are you doing to sort of drive demand back in? And then on the other side, like what are they bringing back into the business? There's some metrics under the hood, which um, you'll be able to look at. What are, How are connected apps um, with connections, you know, churning versus those who are not. What is the NPS of connected customers sharing solutions or adding more value versus those who are yet to adopt? What's the logins of those connected apps versus those who have a singular solution around it? What's the lifetime value of the connected solutions or the ARPU or the growth, connected growth versus those who don't? as sort of like outputs as a part of it. And how do they sort of measure up and metric up? Some of those partner technology uh, solutions I, I mentioned before have got some really good dashboards under the scene to be able to sort of look at what those core metrics are. But it does come back to the stem with what you actually want those partnerships to be once you've done that prioritization sort of strategy work around it, which you would then get your partner managers to, to, to obviously benchmark across and where you'd set your KPIs and OKRs against, right? Hey, so so on that note, I mean, um, I think there's a good guidance around measuring things, but I mean, ultimately, are people more engaged? Are they buying more? Are we acquiring more people? Are they staying around for longer? Are they referring mm-hmm. other people? It's kind of like the things that I'd be looking at, you yeah. know what I mean? And then like there's there's a range of like soft and then hard metrics around that, some of which will be correlated. Yeah. I, I think we sort of mentioned a little while ago some of these, I would say, orthodox beliefs that we know to be perhaps untrue and i think it's a bit of a peter teal question but i ask this to everybody i mean around partnerships ecosystems and communities are there some things that everybody thinks is true that you know to be wrong as a practitioner example 
oh, let's create a community. As a community, we'll solve all our problems. We'll just sign up to the software for a thousand dollars a year, and you know, it'll just magically work. But uh, in my experience, you know, it requires a lot of manual intervention and and tactical nuance to actually create that sort of network effect to start churning. You know, that sometimes that takes a year or six months or, or longer. But over to you. I mean, uh, are there sort of some myths that you want to dispel right now? Yeah, yeah. Start off with like partnerships. You know, brings immediate return. It's like it is a strategy which you need to invest with, and it's got to. You know, it takes some ongoing investment and some strategic thinking in order to sort of enable it if you're serious about it around it. The other one as well is it's quite a common belief that, you know, through these partners or this one halo partner, there's going to be a fire hose of customers and it's actually not the case either. You need to have to, you need to do the work in order to sort of earn the trust before those sort of benefits start to come down the track. In tech in particular, there's a saying of, you know, you can – you can keep adding more sales people around it and try and have an accelerated growth and, you know, stay ahead of it to curve as well. But there's a tipping point where you'll start to mature out around it. And there's a, there's a term sort of say jumping the S curve. How do you keep going again? And, you know, partnerships behind the scene is, is a hopes and dreams of to be able to sort of go about that around it. But it's, um, it's not a case of you just turn it on today and you've got a new partner channel just flooding you with net new leads, business or channels to, together. And so, yeah, it's a big part of the education of, of companies I, I sort of work closely with as well, making sure they have that really aha moment before we sort of go down this path. No, I love it. Um, I had mentioned before this colleague, ex-colleague of mine who was, I would say, um, very bright, you know, sort of uh, a good MBA, good university, but I would say not very well versed at executing or materializing sort of I would say hardcore business metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if we had to contrast perhaps someone who's very junior and, and experienced and ineffective at these initiatives versus somebody who's very experienced and um, perhaps someone like yourself who um, you know has been around the block a couple of times and knows exactly what to do and what not to do, what are the hallmarks of that first person versus maybe someone on the other end of the spectrum? Yeah, so I, th- I think the more junior person getting started is primarily probably come from a sales background or being a good generalist or has a can-do attitude and off they go trying to unlock what these <laughs> partnerships components are. I think the more experienced person will be looking at things like what's the mutual success plan, how can they help others win, um, where it makes sense to spend their time. Don't go and try and chat to every partner around it. Who are the core key partners who you can align to that make strategic sense on both sides that you can sort of help and grow together and treat your partners like employees or part of your team and not that of someone that you're door knocking to just mm. trying to extract something from as well. And so there, there is a bit of maturity in, in, in the approach and and what they expect around it. And, and a big part of it as well is over-communicating back internally around how it's progressing, what it is and what it isn't as well and, and where you need help to sort of be able to grow faster. An interesting tipping point, which is a, definitely a trend coming through, is um, for maturing or growing and established um, mm. businesses which have got a partnerships focus is partner operations. Like how am I engaging with all my partners? What does that look like in a CRM or a P- PRM? What information do they need? What sort of blueprints, assets, resources around it? How can we seamlessly do components? Because if I'm looking to have a bunch of partners or a growing amount of partners, how can we do stuff with everyone interconnected and make sure things that if there's commissions or referral payouts or commercial models behind this or mutual customers, how is it just not people behind the scenes doing a bunch of manual work to go with it? And so that's definitely uh, 
coming through to fruition and, and partner ops roles are, in, are definitely in demand for companies as they sort of get bigger. Hey, and um, you mentioned a resource, Alex Komorowski. It was, um, he did this presentation around partnerships, thinking about it. I think I'm just talking about like the general approach of philosophy here in terms of um, viewing it like a gardener instead of a builder. And I think it's a really good analogy in terms of how mm-hmm. am I helping other people grow and instead of I'm building everything to then grow something? And it's a, it's a, I would say, a delineation between I am the product mm-hmm. and you must follow me and grow my product versus I'm just a facilitator of an organic growth process, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a principle or a mindset around that you're, you're there to help others win, continue to add value ongoing. And the more you do that, you know, there'll be a cyclical nature where we'll be able to come back to yep. you around to apply the, the big tech companies the big platforms you know like shopify example they're not building six thousand plus apps themselves they're allowing open apis to be able to connect information in to make shopify even more powerful but they have to kind of let go a little bit on some edges around the edges zero does accounting software really amazingly but they're not building retail apps or trade and construction apps so they <laughs> they allow access to the open apis for others to build to it to provide awesome connected solutions to what effectively are mutual customers as well. Yeah, like service made and things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so the more that means for a, you know, a trades business, or they're able to have the best of both worlds where they've got a connected solution so they can sort of go faster, do what they need to do and focus on, you know, working with their customers. More. I love it. Okay. And look, you've been in this game for, I would say, like at least five to 10 years now. Um, what have you seen that has really changed over that period of time? And also on the flip side, what has stayed the same that is reliable that we can talk about? I've seen like probably two trends, like the emergence of, of like a built-in market mentality with partnerships. It used to be like quite protected and, you know, don't tell anyone around it. But it, I think I'm really liking that model of actually sharing ongoing and like challenges. Everyone doesn't have the right idea, but there's learnings and there's a continued evolution to go with it. But I think um, under the hood, the technology is getting better so you can measure it around it um, increasingly more as well. And so the metrics are actually getting better to validate it, which is why it's getting the importance and the significance in a lot more organizations today. And so there is a bit of a tipping point where I'm, I'm, I'm quite bullish of um, the outlook that's continued to come to the forefront. Communities and sub-communities will continue to evolve around these sort of partnership ecosystems components and, and in, engaging these little sub-communities that we're sort of seeing um, is just going to magnify. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I deal with a lot of, what do they call them, solopreneurs or entrepreneurs or business owners. And, um, you know, we all have our own sort of systems of communicating with our sort of loyal customers of followers, for example. But I, I, I find it like a, a trend in the future is like owning your own own media at a higher level. So, you know, a lot of people are using newsletter programs or community management programs where they have like full control over the databases and and that is their sort of like mm-hmm. key resource, for example. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see mm-hmm. sort of where it goes. I think, you know, sometimes when tech makes everything easier and more approachable and more user-friendly, more people pile onto it. But what's lost is really that strategic core in terms of like why you're doing it and what's the... What's the value transfer, you know, like um, and, and those kind of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, towards the end of last year at HubSpot's global conference inbound, uh, Damesh, the well-respected founder, you know, the theme for the conference was community, interestingly. And it was like this catch line he said, which is like keeping everyone connected in a disconnected world, which is pretty true, right? 
you know, we've got information coming at us left, right and centre ongoing and everyone wants you to sign up to their newsletter, <laughs> to their information, their, their feed and stay top of mind and omni-channel. Let's just hammer people at every angle from where they wake up to go to sleep and around it. And so where is that human element of where you stay connected around it and who do you trust and who do you go to and who do you look towards um, for you to sort of make decisions and move forward um, is an interesting trend which many are sort of chasing going after us. Yeah, and interesting. They they bought the hustle from Sam Parr for, for a large amount of money. Um, his his podcast, by the way, um, or YouTube channel with with Sean is is one of the, the best YouTube channels. If you're into business and, and want to find out how business actually works, one of the best YouTube videos. But also, Damesh has a really good YouTube channel yeah, as well that yeah, I well. highly it's recommend as well. Yeah, my first million, I think it was called the Sam Parr one. It's um it's amazing. But yeah, look, okay, great. I think that's been a really good discussion in terms of that. Um, is there any sort of stories or anything that I've left out that you want to mention, like some some really good ecosystems or community networks or whatever that companies have built that you're a huge fan of that we haven't mentioned today? Yeah, so, um, you know, Beyond Hockey Stick Advisory, um, I also lead up Partnership Leaders APAC chapter, which is a U.S online community where it's connecting partnership people across the business uh, across your you know the industry mm-hmm. you know we've got over 50 members across APAC today but the idea is we're trying to have a rising tide moment and connect people help each other win and you know how can we rise you know create the sort of benefits of what we spoke to before so if you're looking to build partnerships and listening to this or looking to sort of consider what is the strategy I encourage you to check out the, the community is quite active engaged and you know, you're able to draw a lot of insights and expertise from people either in Silicon Valley, you know, the US, up in Europe or across APAC to sort of drive forward great outcomes. And and so I'm quite bullish, right? Like I could I could go out there and use my network myself and sort of, you know, which I've been able to build over time. But I, I feel like, you know, we're better together and there's an opportunity for to share from international learnings to apply to, to APAC and, and you can get involved. Yeah, I'm sort of part of um, a couple of other communities as well, which are more like growth or CRO, you know, Pavilion and, and, and the like. So, mm-hmm. um, Pavilion, yeah. Yeah, some really good communities out there that are like very mm-hmm. underground, but like very good operators, high quality, well-vetted members that are just like gold mm-hmm. mines. What about, I'm sure you're a person that is well-read, um, but I ask this question to everybody. Is there a, a book that you've read recently that has changed your mind for the better? It, it can be related to this topic or not, or just in general. Um, what's your... What's on your reading list that you've really enjoyed recently? Yeah, um, I'm an avid reader when I can amongst amongst the kids uh, around it. Um, <laughs> the Hungry Caterpillar. I really like uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko, jo- jo- Jocko Willing. Yeah, The Hungry Caterpillar, um, you know, and, and reading Hungry Caterpillar 10,000 times, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, I like uh, Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership, um, just around having those frank, hard conversations, being able to sort of manage up, manage down, and being able to sort of make progress. Been able to have those conversations which people will leave out of the room and don't mention or don't stand up around. How do you sort of lean into that and do it in an authentic and, and honest way as a way to progress? I think it's holding back a lot of us mm. um, and you see it ongoing. It's always you finish a meeting with a corporate, it's the conversation out to the lift or to the water. And or every, everybody or like beer, basically does everything to avoid ownership like uh, at all costs. It's like the opposite force, isn't it? It's like you have a meeting yeah. and they're like, okay, someone else can do that. Okay, yeah. bye. So you've got to fight against that that natural force, I find, a lot of times to get yeah. things done. Yeah, and I think there's an opportunity for all of us to sort of lean into that a little bit more or whatever we're up to in, in life. And uh, yeah, definitely got some takeaways from, from that one. What about a quote... Or a meme, could be a comic or something on this topic that just makes you laugh every time because it's so true. Yeah, so uh, Jay McBain, who we quoted earlier, he says the decade of the ecosystem has arrived. 
And considering the fact I've set up Hockey Stick Advisory to go all in on that, uh, I can't stop saying it enough. But uh, I see it coming to life, and that's why I'm sort of going after it and the opportunity. I think a lot of companies have got the opportunity to sort of to go faster through this methodology. So uh, I tend to uh, rattle that one off a bit. Okay, fair enough. Um, on that note, is there some sort of like headwinds you think that are precipitating that that shift? Um, you know, we've we've talked about, and just today there was some privacy legislation released in in a little country of Australia around customer privacy, which will have huge ramifications on digital acquisition channels and the like. Um, do you see some sort of headwinds moving more towards in your direction that would make partnerships and community and ecosystems a bit more valuable and more, a bit more pursued than a would otherwise be the case? Yeah, in the US tech economy, which I think is definitely sort of six to 12 months of where we are down here in APAC is um, with a lot of the tech redundancies across the board as companies have been chasing growth in recent years, uh, there's been a lot of redundancies in partnerships per se because they are an investment and they are a strategic asset which you need to invest in them. They don't necessarily bring partner revenue today but they're building those channels out and so some there's been some reductions in headcounts across the board and so there'll be either sort of like a few different ways around it those who are heavily invested are already doing already got their own ecosystems going i expect them to go faster those who have had reductions in their sort of space or sort of stall in their space and some of their competitors will get ahead and those who continue to try and sell stuff by themselves in isolation without sort of going down this route will actually probably go backwards and so I'm looking forward to sort of seeing this play out in market, but it's definitely sort of shaping the industry. What it is doing, however, is it's making people more accountable to have better ROI and to be able to understand the impact of doing a bit more than ever. And so for in the partnership space, it's, it's the industries are able to sort of grow up and evolve and be able to come to the forefront where it makes an impact. And it's, it's making people pretty focused, which is... Um, Definitely where I'm spending some efforts with some companies I'm working with. I love it. Okay, that's really good. Okay, but over to you. I know you've mentioned your company a couple of times, so let's just do it again and anything else that you're working on. But over to you, what mm-hmm. do you want to promote and get the word out there about? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, sort of sharing the good word of uh, what I'm up to and things that I'm sort of seeing in market. And so people can connect me on, on LinkedIn. Um, check out my website at hockeystickadvisory.com. And if uh, they're looking to sort of go faster or explore what partnerships is or isn't, uh, feel free to reach out and we can sort of see what and interesting you said john before as well is that you know some companies i've actually worked with and said hey let's build some partnerships that are excited and i've, I've gone back to what their core priorities i've said oh, well it's, it's actually not for you right now around <laughs> it if you're not going to invest in it and so yeah extreme ownership maybe um and leaning into what it can and can't be but realizing and, and helping educate um execs of of what the opportunities are and guiding down that path with a very clear mandate around uh you know progressing and bringing it to life yeah, well, uh, thanks for your time. I think it's been a really good crash course in in sort of this, I would call it a growth lever or, you know, a number of growth levers, depending on how you Absolutely. want to execute this. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. and, and the best way for people to contact you, uh, you said you're very active on LinkedIn or hockeystickadvisor.com. I'm sure you can fill out a contact form there and, and uh, contact you, but is that the best way or, or not? Yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Meet the community where they are and that's where mine are and that's where I spend my time accordingly. Last question. How was the beer? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, it does. It's a bit of a flashback back to um, to some uh, era before where where the, where the monks are at. So uh, a good initiative. It's been some time before I've, I've since I've, I've drank in a beer out of a, a pop top champ, champagne intimidator bottle. So um, yeah, um, it's actually it's it's quite nice to drink. You'd sort of sip on this like yes. a 
like a good scotch kind of yes. um but whereas you wouldn't be at the pub with your mates having heaps of these right mostly they're made to have with food so you're not really supposed to have more than one or, or two of them if you know what i mean so and obviously you know they're, they're pretty expensive so <laughs> like 14 dollars for a beer yeah. you know is, is quite a lot for a, for a bottle yeah. but um look uh thanks brian for talking about partnerships ecosystems and communities really appreciate it and yeah all the best in the future and thanks for your time really appreciate it yeah thanks john thanks for having me on it's been good to share some insights and that was great hearing about the options that we have to grow businesses through distribution. A topic not many marketing or growth people actually talk about. But I can assure you it's one of the most powerful and most defensible growth levers there is. And I'd recommend this episode with two other ones. Brent Annals Season 3 Episode 26, which is mostly about partnerships. And Season 2 Episode 3 with Peter and Ayan, which is about affiliate marketing, digital partnerships, and content. So make sure you listen to those two as well if this strikes your fancy. And if there are people that you know who are just getting into this partnerships or community ecosystem game, I'm sure they'd appreciate some advice on this topic. So make sure if you enjoyed this episode, just share it away and, and leave some comments. I'll definitely find it useful. And also, I'm interested in what you think. A lot of people DM me on LinkedIn or do call-outs on Twitter all the time, and I really appreciate them. So don't be shy. Connect, say hello, tag me in something, tell me what you think, for better or for worse. Press the alert or bell icon to receive notifications on your podcast app to avoid missing the next episode, which I drop generally every 7 to 14 days. And I have a reverse newsletter where I send you an email each month answering your questions instead of just dumping information onto you and clogging your inbox. If this sounds good, go to hybrancy.substack.com to sign up. And you can sample episodes and watch highlights via the Hybrancy YouTube channel, neatly categorized via the playlist function. There's hundreds of videos there. The next episode will probably be on messaging strategy, which is the step before copywriting and below brand. But that's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening.